Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my friend Shep Gordon. He's a talent manager, Hollywood film agent, and a producer. He was featured in the film Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon, which was directed by Mike Myers. That is a great film. It's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, super interesting guy. This is a great show done live here at Shep's house in Maui. It was a hell of an excuse to go to Hawaii as well. He's got crazy stories about meeting Janis Joplin, Hendrix, Alice Cooper, then Pink Floyd, all by age 21 or 22, and managing those guys as well. He still manages Alice Cooper, and he invented the concept of the celebrity chef, which as you know is now ubiquitous. He cooked for the Dalai Lama and he even shared a cat with Cary Grant. He shares a lot of AOC values, such as compassionate business, where there are no losers, only winners. He has something called the coupon system he uses to track this. We also discuss what makes Shep a success and how he thinks about solving problems and making people famous. Last but not least, why fame is toxic. There's a reason he tells his clients, if I do my job right, it'll probably kill you. So enjoy this one with Shep Gordon. And by the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the AOC toolbox where we discuss things like body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking negotiation, mentorship, and everything else we teach here at The Art of Charm. In the U.S., just text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. Everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. Also at theartofcharm.com slash podcast, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes. All right, here's Shep Gordon. My f- the first group I worked with was Alice Cooper, and we didn't do well. Uh, we finally left Los Angeles saying... Um, we couldn't even get arrested in L.A., and we were going to go on the road till we got our first standing ovation. And we played a uh, pop festival in Saginaw, Michigan. Which is kind of a rough area, even today. Yeah, this was a big field, open field. Um, we came on after Arthur Brown. Arthur Brown was the headliner. Fire! He was fantastic. I don't know if you know him, but he's... I, I, I mean, I know a little bit yeah, about Alice him. actually played with him last night in Vegas. Or two nights ago in Vegas. Is, so Al still does shows. I didn't realize oh, yeah. that. Alice I thought he does was a lot of shows. Golfing. Oh, yeah. No, no, he's rocking. He's rocking. Um, he did uh, 150 shows this year. Part of it as Alice. Part as part of the Hollywood Vampires with Johnny Depp and Joe Perry and a bunch wow. of other guys. So it was a good year. But So um, we get the standing ovation in Saginaw. First standing ovation we ever got. We didn't realize that the Hells Angels were on bicycles at the back of the field pushing everyone to the front, which is why they stood up. Why? But I have no idea. They just decided, screw this Alice yeah. Cooper guy, he's wearing tights and we don't like him? I don't know. We're trying to clear the field. There was security. We were sort of an afterthought. Arthur Brown was the headliner. We came on maybe 1230 at night. I think we were an afterthought. They were probably trying to clean the plan. Never really found out the answer. Yeah. Not, uh, not the kind of guys who want to say, look, I want to just clarify what happened last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we didn't really know. We, we found out. A couple of months later, I mentioned to the promoter, Peter Andrews, thanks, we got a standing ovation. We moved in. He said, uh, wait a second, that was after Arthur Brown. <laughs> you know what happened? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so um, we go to a real estate agent, and we find a place we can rent by the month that's very cheap, and it was a farm in a town called Pontiac, yeah. Michigan. And um, we move in at night. We wake up in the morning. They set up the equipment to practice. And... 
maybe a football field away as a fence. And all these people are watching us, you know, at the fence rehearse and applauding and stuff. And they looked a little bit weird. It turned out we, we had moved it next door to an insane asylum. So they're all shaking their head and yeah, shuffling around. Yeah, which around. is perfect. They were exactly our target right. audience. Yeah. That was, <laughs> and I can, I can imagine at this time, like, all right, we just need to find as many of these types of people. And we yeah, have, yeah. And this is our we gold record. to the right place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nailed it. And little did we know they were all those and kind of people. Confidence builder, though, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Look at them line up yeah. outside the fence. Yeah. We're going to kill it. And Detroit was great because Detroit was the antithesis of, of California rock, where California rock was, you know, I love the flowers. Aren't the bees beautiful? Right. Look at the rainbow. Um, Detroit was, you know, I'm going to get grinding. in your face and knock your teeth out, and here we come, you know. It's still like that. Kick there. out the jabs, motherfucker, you know, yeah. all that stuff. So yeah. It's still like that, only it's not just the music that does yeah. it anymore. It's I was like just everything. back in Detroit. It's really getting Shinola, this company. Yes, Shinola has done a great job. Um, Jack White just opened a vinyl record store in Detroit where you can go in and tell them the title and they press the record Whoa. and you get a vinyl record pressed in the store and that you can take with you. That's amazing. That so you cool? don't have to, cause then you don't have to stock yeah. a bunch of stuff that you might never sell. Yeah. You can make it. He right has there. it on some digital load in sure. and they have eight pressing machines and they just press the record on the vinyl. That's long overdue and very yeah. cool. And great that it's out of Detroit, which is the home of manufacturing yeah. You know, for America, it really drives the point home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I, I went back. To, I mean, my parents still live there and it's... Uh, in Troy. It, in Troy. And we go down to Detroit and it's it's great because five years ago when I went back there, you really couldn't go. There was maybe one block of Detroit you could go to. Yeah. yeah. And then recently it, there were five, six blocks yeah. of Detroit yeah. you, it's, you it's wanted to It's slow progress, but yeah. it's, uh, you have to give them a lot of credit, all yeah. these people who've come in. It'll take 15 years, right? But yeah. Yeah. hopefully it will get back yeah. to, or at least rebuild itself a little yeah. bit. Detroit in those days was so great because you had the Motown sound. You had the Rooster Tail nightclub. Yeah. Which was like um, the Bible of, you know, Motown music. And then at the same time, you had the East Town and Grandy Ballrooms, which were the Fillmore's of, of really right. tough music. You know, it was, um, so it was just a great city for us. We got very lucky. My dad's cousin was a VP at Motown, along with 500 other people, or however they ran that company those, in those days. Yeah, amazing uh, presence in Detroit. Yeah. But then, uh, did he ever tell you about the Rooster Tail? Rooster Tail? No, my friend, my mom's friend owns it actually now. You're kidding. I'm sure they don't, I'm sure they didn't back oh. then. I mean, it was, was like, uh, it was sort of like walking into a Martin Scorsese movie. Really? You know, it was smoky and smoky and fedora hats everywhere and, you know, Cadillacs outside. And I don't think you could get in without a pinky ring. I like a big was, gold with a ruby yeah, on yeah, it or something. Yeah, yeah. It Jeez. was a great time. You know, this show specifically, as everyone listening knows, it's designed to help people live an amazing life, help people learn things through essentially deconstructing or decoding amazing people or people that have had amazing experiences. And so I'm, I'm one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you and that, that in so much that I'm intruding on your family vacation here <laughs> at your own home is because you've had so much success. It's almost kind of like Forrest Gump of Hollywood yeah. level. <laughs> my, that friends call, my friends call me Forrest Gump. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. like this super nice person does a lot of, of right by everyone. And then amazing things seem to in the book seem to fall from the sky and later in the book you actually clarify look it's not like you just snap your fingers and it happens you've got to hustle and leverage those opportunities as well and i want to kind of deconstruct some of that stuff i mean even 
even on your own vacation a while back, you had a computer problem and you were one of three <laughs> people on the island other than your the girl that you were with. And then it ended up, the other guy on the island ended up being Steve Jobs. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen to normal people, <laughs> no, right? It is amazing. It's a, a convergence of luck, uh, chutzpah. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> nobody's that lucky. Seriously, no, just nobody. There's no. It's off the meter. No, it's been. Um, I, I think they are because I'm sort of an example of it. I mean, there's so many. There's a lot of things that um, I grasp for, and maybe that's part of what makes it work. There's, I think there's a part of me that's a little bit groupy. Um, I'm really attracted to fame and power. Um, there's a part of me that's always been looking for um, a substitute father. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I mentors I tend to stretch out to. And, and I've always been, one of the things I always told my clients is, you know, I can get you a no very fast. <laughs> a yes, I can't tell you how long it's going to take. So when I sort of set my targets on meeting someone, I'm able to sort of find the path usually to get me into it. Well, J- Jason, our friend Jason did a good job of that. I mean, he, he put it up everywhere. I don't know if he told you how he finally got connected to you. No. It was, <laughs> he was asking, Hey, has anyone seen this? Has anyone seen the Supermensch thing? Does anybody know Shep Gordon? And people were, it was on a little private community that we have for events he uh-huh. set up. And then he just kept asking. And finally someone said, I think I know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And he got introduced to you. And then he, to my knowledge, lived in your house for three days. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's actually, that's so funny. I never thought about it, but he actually is a perfect example of um, those things I talked about. You know, luck, chutzpah, being a little bit of a groupie, having, I mean, Jason, I, I, for those of you who don't know, Jason is this wonderful guy, lives in Canada, runs a thing called Masterminds. Right, Mastermind Talks, you know? yeah. And I never go on Facebook. I yeah, think. I know, I added you and I thought, oh. Yeah. No. I almost never go yeah. on Facebook. I've started to now about Jason's insistence. Yes. Um, but um, I don't remember if it was my secretary. Somebody highlighted to me an email from Jason. And I read it and I said, boy, this sounds really interesting. And I didn't answer it. And then he, I, another one came in. And I said, this is really, you know, this is different than the others. What he hit, he, he was able in a very aloha way to hit on things that he knew would get my attention. He said, um, you have a book coming out. Um, I'd love to help you promote the book. I don't know if, if you care or not, but if you care about how it does, I, I think I can be useful. Yeah. Um, and that hit a note with me because, you know, I, I don't have a manager. Yeah, I, I guess that makes yeah. sense. Why would you? Right? <laughs> and I know how much work it takes, you know, to get above the noise for anything. Oh, Especially now. Yeah, amazing. So I answered him, which I rarely do. And every one of his answers was so honest. And um, full of aloha and intelligent. When you say full of aloha, do you just mean, is that like a, a synonym for humility in some uh, ways? Uh, yeah, humility, um, a, a concept of innocence, win-win, um, a, um, a thankfulness. Um, he was very confident of what he did, but didn't push it. You know, just a beautiful approach. Yeah. Um, and um one thing led to another. We started talking on the phone. He said to me, uh, I have some free time. Um, could I come out and see you? And uh, that was sort of an overwhelm. I said, you're kidding. You really would do that? And he said, yes. And he came out and we spent three days together. And 
I sent him back a note after the three days, and I said, you know, if I had a uh, birth son, I'd sure like him to be like you. Wow. Because it, it, it's, um, and in the end, it serves him well. It's a beautiful oh, win-win. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's what I try and do. I talk in the book about how you, you try and make things a win-win situation. So for me, he's given me a viewpoint on how to get this book to people to read. Yes. He does these conferences. I can't wait to go to one of his conferences. I mean, well, I, I'll I'd see like, you there. Yeah, I'd like crawl yeah. to get to the conference now, and that's a win-win. Well, I asked him if you yeah. were coming to Mastermind Talks, and he says, well, you know, let me sell some books first. And I he said, hasn't even asked. Yeah. I yeah. said, let me, let me help you sell books. So one of the reasons I'm down here is because we're going to sell a few thousand books. Thank you. I mean, Thank you. fingers crossed, right? Thank you. Thank you. But no, I mean, there's no way to keep me away from it. And that's a win-win. Yeah. You know, so he sort of gets what he wants that for his life. I get what I want for my life. We have a beautiful exchange. Um, you, you get to meet another human being who's on the same journey, which yeah. is great. Um, so I think, you know, he, that's a perfect example of, of how some luck and perseverance and, you know, um, keeping on it really can get you to, you know, and, and having a little bit of groupie in you. When you say a little bit of groupie, you mean being a fan of yeah, the being a the fan person. of other humans. Yeah. Not, not so many people that world is six inches from their nose. You know, if you can really appreciate what another person has done and want to get to them and say thank you and uh, maybe have some of what you're, you're attracted to bleed off into you, that's a beautiful thing. But yeah. the first comes desire and consciousness of, wow, this person, that's a great person. You know, I'd love to meet them um, and then, then work on it, which is, I'm sure, the first thought of Jason's was, wow, I'd like to meet him. How do I get yeah. to meet him? How do I do it in the right way? He perceived the need for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he filled that need. And we got to meet, and he got his sort of thing. I got mine, and the ballet will continue. I yeah, think. he's well. You couldn't have picked, or I guess he couldn't have picked. He's a he's a great person. Yeah. Like none of that, what you saw was even one percent fake. No, no, he's I got just, it. No, no, I you got know it. what I mean. I got it completely. He, he's just one of those guys yeah. where the he's one of the guys where the reason people think Canadians are super friendly is because of guys like yeah, Jason. I Green, agree. Yeah. And so just, smart, and, and smart, and sharp, and he's. All the right stuff. I can't wait to go to his mastermind. Yeah, well, I, I will see you. I can't wait. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a fun event. Yeah. He does, as you can imagine, a guy like that brings in a great crowd of people I that can. are all yeah. super nice. Amazing. I mean, it's Amazing. just uh, entrepreneur Woodstock, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> so, um, you mentioned fame, and you mentioned, I, I mean, honestly, my follow-up question for that is no longer necessary, because I was, I was wondering how much of it is dumb luck, and how much of it is dumb luck that you had a pretty big, pretty big hand in creating yourself. And it sounds like, well, why don't I actually, why don't we answer that? Because mm-hmm. it seems like there has to be an element of, of luck. On the other hand, you're clearly very conscious of creating the right connections and creating the right relationships and creating the right scenarios. Well, I think, you know, it's funny, a great follow-up to the Jason conversation. I, I, um, I got taken to a speech in Los Angeles by the Dalai Lama, who I wasn't really aware of. Um, right. He was a, a picture. Um, right. But I didn't really know much. Right. No internet that you can go, no Wikipedia for you to take yeah, a look at real um, quick. I, didn't, I, I don't even know if I may have it, but I, it, it wasn't part of my consciousness. It wasn't any goal of mine. It was just, you know, um, I got taken by a girl I was living with who was an actress, was happy to go. I, I love knowledge. So Sharon Stone, was it yeah, Sharon Stone uh, who took you there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, 
we got backstage because of Sharon, and um, he walked in the room, and I felt like I had just taken the greatest shower of my life. I don't know how huh. else to describe it. Um, just him coming in the room, I saw his face. I saw him come through. They, a door opened. I was looking at the door. He came walking in, and it was like, wow, that's wild. Um, I just felt clean, mm-hmm. like really clean. Um, and I got to be on a line, and um, he gave me a scarf. Wow, and, nice. And uh, I got back home to Hawaii, and I said, boy, I sure would love to be able to spend a little time near him. Um, and see what this is all about. And I did some research and I got a hold of a friend of mine. I asked him about Buddhism, what, you know, what is the real essence of it? And, and then I went to a bookstore here and there was a sign that he was coming to Hawaii to give a speech. This is way before um, Secret Service and as crazy as it is now. Right, right. Um, they didn't have to worry about yeah. crazies at that time. Let me move some of this out of your way. He went to a little Dharma Center. So anyways, I, just like Jason... Um, with me, I said to myself, uh, boy, I would love to spend some time with him. He's coming to Hawaii. He's got to eat. I, I, deal, <laughs> right. I deal in um, the culinary arts. Why don't I make an offering of the food while he's here? And maybe that way I'd be able to see the sure. world get a little closer. And that's what I did. I reached out, went through some connections, found out from Sharon who had invited us, got a hold of the person who invited us. His name was Rinchin Darla. And he accepted my offer. Wow. And the only thing he said to me was, um, you can't have any um, expectation that you will meet his holiness or interact with him. That's a very Buddhist thing to say, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and I said, okay, I yeah. understand. I was sort of sad because I yeah. wanted to meet him. And then the first morning, they asked me to bring him breakfast. And I walked right in. He was shaving, brushing his teeth in the bathroom. <laughs> and here I was with the Dalai Lama. It was like so wild. And then I... Uh, and then I made more offerings, and I went to Trinidad with him, went to a few other places, and got to accomplish what my goal was for me, which was to um, spend some time near him and see, could I see something in the way he conducts his life that would help my life be better? I ended up um, going to New York with him to cook, and in New York, someone actually knew what I did for a living, <laughs> right, and because right. they thought they, I was a cook to them. and. Um, I joined the board of Tibet Fund, which is the vehicle that finances the government in exile. Mm-hmm. I've been on the board for the last 20 years. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so it's a win-win for everybody. Again, it, yeah. it turned into a beautiful win-win. Um, it, but it was, you know, luck to have been taken to that speech and then um, dedication and, and work and sincerity. It was selfless. I, all I really wanted was to be near him and serve him. I think it makes sense that they asked you that question, right? Make sure you have no expectations yeah. because that's the screen. Because somebody who says, no, I'm just here to get a selfie with the Dalai Lama right. isn't going to cook breakfast with no return on what they consider an yeah. investment. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny to hear that he's sitting there brushing his teeth when you go in. And then even the things he says in the book, right? Oh, he's so funny. He's, he's, he's brushing his teeth. And he goes, is that yak butter? This is why I left Tibet, right? Because it smells Although like he dirty is, socks. He is so funny. I've- I think another great one was uh, when I tell the stories and I talk about it, it sounds as if I have an important place in his life. And I'm sure I do because I'm a human, but not because of anything else. <laughs> and I, I think that I'm one of a blur of life going by. So I, I truly have no expectation of him ever remembering me, um, any of that stuff, part of my journey. And I, we went to Trinidad 
and I got on an airplane to go to Trinidad, and he was on the airplane. And I walked past him to go to the bathroom, and I could sort of tell that he didn't recognize me. Right, because he meets a thousand people a week. Oh, yeah. Right, easily. And when I came out of the bathroom, I could tell that his handler had told him who I was. So, oh, how are you? So good to see you since Hawaii. You know, he had been trapped. So we get to Trinidad, and um, two two little Trinidad stories. We get to Trinidad, and there's only two people and me with him. There's a very little entourage. One security guy, Rinchen Darlow, who was wow. his ambassador. That's because a different time. I mean, different obviously, time. different time. Totally different wow. time. And me. And we get there, and we're in a holding pattern backstage. And right at the airport, there's a convention center, and they had the dignitaries of Trinidad there to meet him, and he was going to give a little speech. So we're backstage. The security guy goes off, and the other person goes off. And we had, it's just us. And uh, he says, um, Oh, you cook for me in Hawaii, yeah? And I yeah. said, yes, Your Holiness. And oh, and you cook in New York, yeah? Yes, Your Holiness. And he said, now you cook in Trinidad. And I said, yes, Your Holiness, very happy to do this. He said, you only cook on island? <laughs> <laughs> Which was... Yeah. And then now, now, they, now they say it's time for us to walk out. And in Trinidad, I had never been to Trinidad before, but what makes Trinidad really unique is that everyone gets along but none of them have merged together, the, the different cultures. So the Africans wear pure African garb. The South American Indians wear pure South American Indian. So we walked into a room that was beautiful with all these costumes. Um, and His Holiness is wearing his orange robes. And he goes to the stand. He goes, looks around, gives it a minute. Says, oh, must be in the wrong room. This costume party? And everyone's Everyone doesn't know what to say. Right. They don't know what to say. And then he looks at himself and he looks down and he goes, Oh, no, me dressed right in robe for costume party. Oh, my gosh. And and just it, everyone loses it. <laughs> and then he becomes a human. Right, right. Now all that other stuff is gone, and now he can talk to him. He must have learned that over years of just, because yeah, uh, it, it, it's got to be maybe a lo- lifetimes ago. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Because it's got to be a lot of work if everybody is treating you like you're floating yeah. your whole life. It yeah. would get really yeah. tiring. So I, I, I've noticed now, I've been in enough things to see he always comes up with something. To make himself human. To defuse the... Yeah, to defuse that tension. thing in the air. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah. That's a... It's, it seems like that's... A, do you see that that is a skill that a lot of, of famous people learn over time, or do, is, is that what eventually... I think most people don't care about that. They enjoy really? the stepladder. I think they enjoy that privilege of almost, you know, uh, being above the fray. That wall. I, yeah. I've... I think that's the difference between the compassionate ones and the ones who don't maybe use their power like they possibly could. Yeah. You know, cause it, it's a powerful position, as, as you well know, because you're on the air. You can, you can influence you a lot of things. You get to a lot of minds. Yeah. And it's, it, a, yeah. And it's a responsibility. I, I agree. I, I mean, this is a podcast and it's a, it's a new media, right? In air quotes, it's internet. A lot of people don't take it seriously. But I'll tell you that a lot of times when authors come on, they'll sell books by the thousands. They get really surprised or even presidential candidates have said, look, why don't we come on and you can endorse, you can endorse this person. And I, I was really surprised to see that because I thought who, who, no one, even most authors have to look up what this is, but people who are really, really in the know, they see where the influence is starting to shift and, and it can be, it can be powerful, but it can also be very intoxicating. And Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, look at the minute sliver that, 
that I'm enjoying no, from no, absolutely. broadcasting. You're going you're to get a good sense of it. It's a good sense. And it's a power that's got to be. It's, I always think of it as like um, Star Wars. The lightsaber? The, yeah. It's that kind of power. You sort of hold on to the fame and the thing, and you just try and use it for good stuff. But it's, there's so much fool's gold out right. there. Don't turn it on in your pocket. Don't turn it on in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because you, I mean, you started early enough where you met Janis Joplin, Hendrix, Alice Cooper, Pink Floyd, and you were what, like 22 years yeah, old? Yeah, not even. Uh, not even? Yeah, was... So you weren't even old enough to drink, but you were hanging <laughs> yeah. out with people who only did <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I got really lucky. I got, I got lucky and I took advantage of the luck. And, and for me, strangely enough, being Jewish is really what led me into my life's career. Because that, that came up in conversation in those days, are you Jewish? And Jimi Hendrix said to me, are you Jewish? And I said, yes. And he, you should be a manager. All the managers are Jews. Right. Because back then that wasn't and a that weird was, thing to say, right? Yeah, it was, yeah politically not <laughs> yeah. correct. <laughs> but yeah. it, that's really what led me um, on my journey. I think if the answer had been different that day, I, I have no idea where I would be today. Right. He could have said, you should sell carpet. That's yeah. what people are doing now. And yeah. you'd be... You'd have sold a lot of carpet. Sold a then. lot of carpet. Yeah. It might have been easier. Yeah, it might have been a lot easier. It certainly would have been better for your liver. Yeah, that's for yeah, sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years, 
going through endless resumes. Well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You do share a lot of art of charm values, this, this show, what we teach and what we teach at AOC. The same values, compassion, no, no, no losers in business, right? no only, losers. only win-win. Yeah. You can't, I mean, that's the goal. Sadly, commerce has a downside to it. But yeah. you try, you really try. I'm going to neurotically check that this is still recording every five seconds. Yeah. Oh, so don't, yeah. don't worry about my level of no distraction. Yeah. I'm just uh, always trying to make, usually I don't use notes, but the fact is I read the whole book. That's unbelievable. I, <laughs> I watched the documentary. Uh, I Googled everything. And it's not this type of situation where I can go, oh, hey, let me call you back on Skype and get a soundbite or uh -huh. something. This, I just want to make sure that yeah, we great. use the time well. So You know, it's funny. I, I, I did the audio for it just off the thing. And um, uh, for the for the yeah. book, yeah. And if I ever did another book, I would read it out loud before I finish it. Why is that? I found that a lot of the I mean I don't want to say this out to the human, but a lot of the chapters bored me. Really? Yeah, I didn't think. And so. some of them were like riveting. There was somewhere my voice, even to me, was riveting. And I don't. Just, anyway, so what, I I get it though. I think yeah. you're probably more interested in. Think well. Those are the things you were still interested yeah, in. Maybe telling. that's what it because was. Because yeah. I, I, I'll tell you, I plowed through the book, and I'm a slow reader. I usually listen to books. I plowed through the book in a couple of plane rides and one LAX airport incident where we had to evacuate under the tarmac. Did you hear about this? Oh, were you on that one? I was there. Oh. Yeah, that was the day that was before the shooting? I flew here. They thought it was a shooting. A fake shooting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm on the tarmac, wow. live broadcasting the thing on Facebook because wow. that's what all that's the what kids do. do these yeah, days. Yeah. And then after a while, I just realized, you know what, we're going to be out here for a minute. So I gave a couple of news interviews on Skype because I was the only <laughs> one broadcasting. And then I read the book and I thought, this is, if this is keeping me interested while we're in this sort <laughs> oh, my of pseudo hostage situation here, you know, that's pretty wild. TSA holding us hostage, nobody else, uh, you know, trying to get back on an airplane, then good. If I'm still awake right now because I'm reading this, then it's good. But I can imagine reading your own book would actually be really painful in a lot of ways yeah. not not actually painful just kind of tedious because you've already heard it and you wrote it uh -huh. and you read it and now you're reading it again but you got to make it a performance yeah it's wild it's it's got but be. i've enjoyed it all because it's also new to me and i've been tutoring people for so long in what to do really oh all right. my clients sure sure so it's yeah. you know it's um it's been a really interesting Had to take exercise. some of your own advice yeah no it's been really <laughs> really interesting i'm I um one of the things Alice always says is that the only time of the day that he knows what to do is when he's Alice on stage. He always knows what Alice will do on stage. He's got the Alice Cooper persona down. Got it down. The rest of it he's winging. Doesn't matter what happens. Anything could happen. He knows what that character is going to do. Everything else in his life he's sort of winging. Really? And um, I think most of us are winging 
most of our lives. I think so, yeah. And for me, it's been really interesting because I feel the same way about Chef Gordon in interviews and on stage. I sort of know who I should be. Right, yeah. Tell some stories it, and yeah, be no, funny really and entertaining, so yeah. I, I, I'm very bad at speeches um, because the speech is just about me. Right, it's just about you, yeah. And, and, and it, you know, I have no idea still at 70 years old who I am. Right. <laughs> I'm still trying You're to You're going to have to take out. some bullet points, <laughs> yeah. man. But that guy who's in the book and on the screen, him I sort of know really well. Yeah. So, um, anyways. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, I originally started out having to be, or thinking I had to be some kind of character on the show as well. And after a while, Jenny, who I met, I met through this show as well. And she, her, her number one, the reason she met with me in the first place was she, she said, I just wonder if he's like this in real life. Is he like who he is on the show in real life? And, and she was, it was pure curiosity. She didn't have time. She was moving. And then we met up and I was, according to her, the same person yeah, on the show. To, I, mean, I think I, when, when you're a communicator, when your business is communicating, you have to, you, if you don't take the, it's like Alice's character on stage or my character. If it isn't the essence of who you are, it's almost like a classic comic book read of who you are. Yeah. It doesn't come it off doesn't as work. real. It yeah. just doesn't come off. And you become kind of a commodity, right? Because yeah. if, if you're just acting like somebody else, then somebody else can act yeah. that way. And I think better. it starts that circle of trouble downward. You know, you know you're living a lie. And um, that lie starts to eat you up. And sure. All, because and it, a drug or a liquor or a food or something comes in to fill up that hole. Because you start to say, well, I'm clearly not good enough who I really am. And that's yeah, got to, that yeah. burns. Yeah. The, and the more you have to be somebody else, the more that would reinforce itself. Absolutely. And you even mentioned in the book that the, the fame is the fame is, is corrupt, corrupting. It's a, the st- it's a stove you don't touch. Yeah. It's the toxic waste of celebrity, I think, Mike Myers. or, or Yeah, that was the Mike Myers line. I thought it's a great line. How does, that, how does that work in your eyes? I mean, why does that happen? Um, I think it's different for different people. I think my, my, I have a narrow viewpoint because I worked with entertainers who um, perform live on stage for the most part. And I think that's a, the most dangerous than the most at risk of all fame because the amount of rejection you have to go through to get to a point where you're selling out a stadium is inhuman. And you only do it if something's driving you more than making money. Um, and that drive is normally some hole in you that you need people applauding, telling you you're great, filling some kind of a hole, and that doesn't get filled by applause. So the performers are the most at risk to me. Right. Because they have, for the most part, have a need that will never get fulfilled. But even, you know, the, I, I, had, a, uh, I had a moment when, I, when my documentary first came out, because no one knows who I am, and I can talk about fame. It's always easy to talk about stuff that doesn't touch you. You know, once it touches you, it's a different thing. And um, it was the first week of the film, and it was at a Tribeca Film Festival, I think. And I was walking in New York City to a screening where I was doing a question and answer with Michael Douglas. And um, my, my quiet zones, you know, the Joseph Campbell concept of find the quiet space and do what you like. For me, walking is one of them. Yeah, I, uh, I feel you. I love walking. Especially I love, in New York somehow. Yeah, somehow. I, and I love multitasking. 
and I love seeing the faces go by and thinking about stuff. It just, it, it relaxes me. It's just a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was taking my walk to Tribeca, thinking about something, and I heard my name, uh, Mr. Gordon, Mr. Gordon. And I sort of looked, and there was a young lady on the street, and she said, you mind if I talk to you a minute? I, I work at CNN, and we screened your movie yesterday, and um, I want to be a producer. And I had a tough childhood. Um, and I wondered if you could give me some advice on how you got through and how you stayed happy. And, um, you know, as a human, you sort of wait for those moments where somebody actually needs help and reaches out to you and maybe you can help them. That's sort of what yeah, we do. Different. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Yeah. Um, so here it was, you know, presenting me this beautiful gift. Of, and you got to run. And I got to go to this. Oh, thing. man. And I said to him, so sorry. And then I gave him my card. When I got to the event. Um, we got up on stage and I said, Michael, before you ask me questions, I need to ask you a question that I just and I told him what happened. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I've spent most of my life having my hand up in front of people like you, separating you from people like that. Right. Um, and I know there had to be plenty of people in wheelchairs and plenty of people in, on canes and plenty of really old people and plenty of new babies. And every day you have to be blocked from those kind of people getting to you. What does that do to you? Yeah. What does that do to like walk past the guy who's in a wheelchair who you know how much you would add to his life just from there? All he wants to say is, oh, I met your father 40 years ago. Or, right. you know, something that's important to him. And he said it's, um, it's really tough. At the beginning, um, it was really tough for me. And then I found out that I had a sort of um, make myself unconscious, and it's not something I'm proud of, but there's no way to get through life um, in my position sure, and be that conscious person that I would like to be. So I compromise myself, and I try and do a lot of good stuff outside, but I know that then, um, when I'm out in public, there's a lot of people who I would love to make their day better who I'm probably making their day worse. Right, so instead of it sort of flips the the script on what people think about celebrities because we think, oh, they go to these private things so they don't have to interact with us mm-hmm. common folk, which is only true up until the extent where they don't want to interact with us because it makes them feel terrible that they can't interact with everybody or they right. can't give everybody what they want or they can't be everybody that we all want them to be in the moment. And that makes them feel bad, not because right. they can't stand the smell of the commoners or whatever. I think it's an individual thing, but I would say for the most part, um, that's, that's 90% of it. There are some who live on a high horse and just sure, don't get what sense. life is about. Yeah. Go through and it's beautiful. They're great too. But for the ones that are conscious, like a Michael Douglas, you can see the, the pain. It's sort of, you know, when you talk about it, you can feel his pain. Um, he, when I was a kid, he was one of my favorite actors because he seemed kind of, re- he was really serious a lot, but when he was funny, he was very understated with it. Uh-huh. And I liked that about him. I thought that was a, a cool thing. Uh-huh. And, but he also seems like the kind of guy you just don't want to cross because he's still got a little Gordon Gecko in there. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I won't say who it was, but, um, there was an actor that I worked with on a movie who was very disrespectful to everybody, did all the wrong stuff, really disrespectful. And about a year later, um, and like way beyond disrespectful. That's, sure. that's the wrong yeah. word. Disrespectful. He was incredible. Uh, yeah. Just, just a terrible yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And we walked into a restaurant. He was there. Michael went over to him. It was my movie, not Michael's. And he punched him. Oh, my God. Said, That's for the crew of the movie. Wow. <laughs> During the meal, huh? During the Just cold cocked him. <laughs> to, to, but well-deserved. To, to understated applause. Yeah, under I the mean, table. really, really well-deserved. Wow. So he said, I'm just writing a speech to introduce him in New York at a dinner for a very famous chef who died, Roger Virginia. I was saying in, the, uh, in writing a speech, he's, he's my, one of my best friends, my mentor. Um, it's ama- he's an amazing man. I mean, he, he's been focused for 30 years on nuclear de- uh, deterring nuclear weapons. Really? Wow. Worked real, been to the UN probably 20 times giving speeches. Roger Verge. No, no, this is oh, Michael Douglas. Okay, I was so yeah, confused for yeah, a second. Yeah. All right, got it. Michael, I mean, he does all this amazing stuff. Um, so anyway, I'm lucky to have him as a friend. Yeah, he's, he seems, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the things in the book are so so fun to see the other yeah. side of some of these celebrities who you only see on yeah. stupid No, they're humans. They're, yeah. they're humans who have real emotions and, you know. Trying to do the best they can do. Roger Verger taught you a lot. He, in fact, he, he mentioned it's never about what you want. That right. was something that was kind of a recurring theme in the book uh-huh. as well. Yep. And I think that's obviously something that you live, seem to be living by as well, especially in your dealings with others. I think um, for me, the, the, one of the hardest things to get through my brain and one of the most rewarding things that got through my brain was the people that I were attracted to, Roger Verger, His Holiness, um, their happiness came from serving others. That was their real joy. And, you know, the words are the words. That's a hard concept is, is sometimes to get through your brain, that the most selfish thing you can possibly do is serve other people because it makes you so happy. Yeah, yeah, true, yeah. And... um that's what both of them really taught to me, and, and uh, I try and live my life by it. And I think all the religions sort of say the same. Everybody sort of says it, um, and hopefully, you know, all of you listening out there at one point will have an epiphany because it takes an epiphany. I don't think we're raised that way um, anymore in America. No. It's not the way we're raised. Um, a lot of people try to fake it too in order to get. They're kind of going. All right, I'm, they're keeping score is what we call they're it at Artichoke, where yeah. they go, no, I'm going to do this for you. Oh, no yeah, problem, yeah, no yeah, problem. Yeah. And then they go, by the way, can you introduce me to Gar- yeah, Grant? Yeah. No, I'm sorry, I can't yeah. do that. Well, screw you, yeah. Shep Gordon. Yeah, exactly. I've done so yeah. much for you, right? Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. And, and that's, that's so the wrong approach to yeah. it, you know. So I, I, once that really started to settle in my brain and I saw it really through Verger the best, I realized that my life had leaned that way without me understanding what I was actually doing. Um, I've made so many choices in my life that lean towards that direction, uh, but I never thought of them as service. Right. It was they just, were just choices. It was just choices. Yeah. And then and everybody, even the paparazzi likes you, which is like, <laughs> I guess technically they love a lot of folks, but not, not in the same way. I mean, in the, in the doc, in the documentary, uh-huh. the, you, you manage to make them happy and get them to do what you want, which is a yeah. group of people that nobody can seem to yeah. control. I mean, well, so, like, you know, it's um, so much of it is attitude. If you come in angry, you usually leave angry. And um, it's so it was so obvious to me that the interests of the star and the interests of the paparazzi are the same. That no matter what star you are, you have a PR person who's looking to spin good stuff about you. You have a movie come out, a record come out, your new restaurant opens. 
There's no celebrity who's important enough for the paparazzi to care about who doesn't make their livelihood off press. So the two of them meet at the exact same place. Um, the, the problem was nobody was talking to both of them to say, be of mutual interest to each other. So what I did is I got the paparazzi. Luckily, I live on a small island. Yeah. yeah. There's very few paparazzi. And they're hanging out down there on the beach. They're hanging. I know all of them. And I said, listen, how about this? If I tell you someone's coming in, you don't take any random shots. They'll set up a photo session for you. You'll get the only shot. Give half the money to the food bank here on Maui. Keep the other half. Everybody's happy. Yeah. And that's what we do. Yeah. Um, and then you get a little semblance of control over it. And then you get control. You get the picture you want out. It helps your career. The food bank makes a, a lot of money, feeds a lot of homeless people. Paparazzi guy doesn't have to sneak around bushes. Right, he's not hanging out. I invite him to dinner. And here. Yeah. yeah. I invited him to Tom Arnold's wedding. Oh, my God. He came to the wedding with us. <laughs> um, but it's great because it's, you know, you can't, you can't be a public figure and lie to yourself in your public that you don't want attention. Right. You know, it's kind of a weird game to play. It's a weird oh, game everybody, to play. Please leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, Here's yeah. me doing something exactly. scandalous yeah, yeah. in so. public. Yeah. But a lot of times, and to, to sort of put another fine point on this, serving people doesn't make economic sense for you or for anybody in the beginning necessarily. I mean, like the chefs, for example, mm -hmm. one of the reasons for the massive success was because you you didn't you didn't have to see an opportunity there to help out Roger Vijay and the other chefs. This wasn't something where you went, okay, if I help these guys out, dot 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 right. profit. This was pure love for and pure service and pure service. Really service, yeah. you know. It was really service. It was um, Mr. Vijay asked to bring some dignity to the profession, and um, I was of service. And I, I think this is an important point because I think a lot of folks kind of just what we talked about before with they try to plan for the opportunity, then they try to offer an air quote service at that point where they can then leverage it later on right. or something like that. And, and this proves that you can't really plan for what opportunity will come because sometimes the opportunity doesn't even exist at right. the time that right. you end up exactly. serving. I mean, you could have easily either failed to bring dignity to the profession or brought dignity to the profession at the return of zero dollars for anyone involved. But I also, I was luckily lucky in that I had resources. Um, you do have to provide for your family. You do have to eat. There are certain real necessities of life. Um, I was very lucky in that I could um, truly serve for the service and not have to think I had a music business that was doing really right. well. Um, I had happy clients. Um, so I think, I think that's also an important part of it, you know, is that I had that ability because it's rough out there and, um, I, I get it. If you can't buy dinner, it's hard to be of service. Yeah, sure. Do you yeah. think you would have done it even if you were having, even if you weren't successful in the other area? Do you think you still would have ended up? I don't know if I would have had time. You'd have been too much, too busy. Hustling. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Hard I, to say. But I know that, you know, feeding the family is sort of the first line. Yeah, that's just biological yeah. imperative at yeah. that point. Yeah. So when I say luck, that's part of what I mean by luck. Sure. You know, um, Tell me about the coupon system that you have that you kind of keep in the back of your, or maybe in the front of your head. Yeah, I think uh, it's very much in the front of my head. It's, um, for example, Jason, who we talked about before, who's done me all these things for me. It's not even a question to me. Of course, I'm going to his, I'm buying a ticket to his series. It's not even a question. Um, that's a key. He had a coupon with me. 
Um, I think, you know, I, the word coupon maybe is a little um, demeaning to it all. But it just means, you know, if, if you come across a fellow traveler in this journey and they're willing to go out of their way to, to make your life better and happier, um, you owe it to him to go that extra mile to try and make his life happier and better. Um, and that's really what, I, to me, a coupon is. Yeah. I, look, I mean, you've obviously mastered the art of leveraging relationships. I mean, some of the stuff in the book, I'm just <laughs> scrolling through here. I mean, there are some unbelievable stories in here. First of all, great, great quote from Alice Cooper that I think maybe comes from the book jacket, I would imagine. Reality has never seemed too important in the 50 years Shep and I have been working together. When we need something to happen, Shep just works his magic to simply make it a reality. I'm still not sure how he does it. He just has the natural ability to create scenarios and relationships that help to get you where you need to go. Yeah. That's a powerful statement, and it's not, it's not something that sounds like some PR person crafted for him to, right. to throw in there. Right. I mean, <laughs> some of the stunts that you had done in the past to get him on his feet and moving are incredible. I mean, first of all, maybe we can bring a little background. How did you get into the rock scene at such a young age? How did you even get involved with all these these crazy folks uh, i i um went out to california as a probation officer which lasted one day it was a very ugly experience yeah, i thought my law career was yeah. short this was short but i was a long hair during the reagan era working in a jail it wasn't a good right. thing yeah got beat up by prisoners yeah, and got after- <laughs> beat up by prisoners left checked into a motel very cheap motel late at night um took some psychedelics yeah i, I noticed that you got in you're tired you quit your first job that you had driven across the country for, to, for and your plan is, I'm going to drop some acid. Yeah. This is the first thing I got to do is yeah. just drop some acid here. I try and figure this out. Yeah. Like, where am I going? <laughs> you know, the, sitting on the porch, my life is fucked completely. I have $400 to my name. I, I just got beat up in a jail. Like, what else are you going to do except, you know, and I, I was a bit of a... Uh, I'm an acid head at the time. Yeah, it sounds like that was the go-to. And I heard someone screaming, broke up the screaming. The girl punched me because they weren't fighting. They were making love. Right. Turned out to be Janis Joplin. So you got beat up by prisoners and Janis Joplin (laughs) in the same day. Yeah, big day. And and, um, at this motel, which is where she sadly died, the landmark motel, years later, were all these rock and rollers, the Chambers Brothers, who I was big fans of, um, Jimi Hendrix, um, guys like Jim Morrison were there all the time. And um, I started selling psychedelics to some of the people there. And one day they asked me what else I did for a living. And I said, I didn't really do anything. And either Hendrix or Lester Chambers, or one of them said, are you Jewish? And I, yeah, you should be a manager. Right. And then they introduced me to Alice Cooper. And that started my journey, and I still manage Alice. But you, but you chose. You said yes to Alice Cooper not because you're gung ho to be a rock manager. No, I needed a front for dealing. Right. Yeah. So you you said, look, this band is so terrible. This will never happen. I'm never going to have to do any work as a manager, and I can yeah. just continue selling drugs exactly. to cover for my. Income. This will never happen. <laughs> and then people started getting busted all around me, and I knew I couldn't do it anymore. And I sat down with the band, and I said, listen, um, somehow I'm going to become a millionaire. I'm not quite sure how, but if you all want to do it together, let's shake hands and let's make this thing happen. And that was the only contract you ever had. Yeah, with never, had a, never had another even, contract. Even, pe- even now, people don't try to say, hey, look, you got to put this on paper and you got to do it. Yeah, just, people try, but we yeah. don't. We you just don't, don't, don't need to worry about it. Nah. 
That's that's amazing. Yeah. Contracts make lawsuits. They do, yeah. Yeah. Handshakes make friends. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even if something happens at this point, now you get to work it out with with whoever it is. You don't yeah. have to call in five thousand yeah. dollar an hour lawyers yeah. to, to yeah. deal with it. And we're we're so past that now. We're like, body Well, yeah, parts. you and him for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. It's like body parts. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, at this point <laughs> at this point you guys are family whether you whether you like it. Well, what I always tried to do with Alice and I thought you know, I very young in my life at Buffalo, I was involved with an event that I guess sort of shaped me, but I always felt that you didn't have to, um, and I think the psych, not that I'm promoting psychedelics at all, but I think the psychedelics opened my mind up to the possibility that you could create history, that, that the rules didn't have to apply. And we we in, when I was in Buffalo, we did a thing where we a ridiculous thing where we brought it. We we made believe that a uh, leader of a country was coming to Buffalo, the Thallus, yeah, and that he was anti-Semitic. And we got thousands of people out and broke through the window of the airport, and it was insane. Protesting the Thallus, yeah, the, the Thallus was coming, but it worked. It was a thought that ended up being reality, and. Later on, when I started working with Alice and we, st- and we decided we really had to make it, that's what came into my head. Why wait? wait what we used to say was, oh, we got to do something that'll get parents to really hate us. What'll be this? We got we to somehow figure out. And then we said, well, let's just do something. So we did see through clothes. And I called the police. Right, the see-through clothes while Alice Cooper's playing on it's stage. on stage. Essentially like a shower curtain right. around each other. To get him uh, busted for obscenity which we thought would be fantastic because our goal was to get parents to hate Alice, right? which meant kids would love him. That was our goal. We came in the back door and um, it didn't work. Um, police came, the clothes had fogged up. But it, the clothes had fogged up because yeah. they were sweating on stage? Yeah, but, but it led us to, we just kept trying. And then we had the chicken incident, which again was history, Alice biting the head of the chick, but we, we set it up. But he, did, he didn't bite no, the chicken? No, he didn't at all. No, right. but they, that, you don't need to. Right. That's just what happened. Yeah. That's how it evolved. That's how it evolved. So, and, and, um, and that's how I, I sort of tried to work with all my clients was to create history, not wait for it to happen. So with Teddy Pendergrass, for example, um, we did for women only concerts. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to, I, you know, as a manager, what can you do for an artist? You're not going to remake his body. You're not going to remake his. You can try and take the artistry that he has that appeals to the public, narrow it down to a to a message that can be conveyed, and then figure out how to tell people who this person is. And in Teddy's case, it was about sex. It was pure sex. The songs were about sexes. Yeah. So how do we get that across? We'll do concerts for women only. We'll give him a little ch- chocolate teddy bear lollipop. I know. Lick on. I couldn't. I had nightmares about yeah. chocolate teddy bear lollipops after I read about that. But then when it came to Luther, who was a very similar artist. Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross. He was all about romance. So how do you define romance to your public? Well, with him, we, had, we did a series of contests across the country at radio stations. Get married on the air by Luther Vandross. The most romantic thing in the world. Nice. So weddings, and it became the song that got played at wedding, and that's that. That's what I always call creating history rather than waiting for it. As soon as we did for women only, 
for Teddy, everybody, all the press started calling him the Black Elvis. Oh, wow. You know, me. Yeah. It was boing, boing, boing. Handled, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a good. So that's what I tried to do for, you know, that's what I try and do for all my acts. And I tried to do for the chefs and um, try to create the history. Yeah, you got the chicken incident, or the chicken story, the broken down truck in Piccadilly Circus. I mean, this this one was really incredible because essentially, (laughs) you just you had to find some guy who was willing to to take a dive. (laughs) We uh, the the incident uh, was in London. We we were playing London for the first time, Wembley Arena, a big hall, about huge, yeah, yeah, eight thousand, nine thousand seats, which was big for us, and. I got into town and we hadn't sold many tickets at all, very few. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. That is completely amazing. And that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether there's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. For a list of all the amazing sponsors and discount codes, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to the show. At that point, when you didn't sell that many tickets, are you thinking, oh, shit, we didn't sell that many tickets? Or do you just go, all right, we can figure this shit out? Oh, no, I, I, I'm looking in the mirror saying, you're completely fucked. You blew oh, no. it this time. This is it. The whole thing's over. You are really an asshole. Okay, so you're, yeah, <laughs> that's the first, the same reaction as I would have, yeah, as okay. every human being, yeah, as every human being. <laughs> and then, okay, asshole, what are you going to do? Yeah, um, you know, you can feel sorry for yourself, 
or you can make this thing work. Okay, how am I going to make it work? Bingo, bango, go to, I go to the record company. There's a guy there named Derek Taylor who was a living legend. Um, he was the fifth Beatle publicist. Brilliant man. And I went into him and I said, I'm Alice Cooper's manager. And he didn't know who Alice yeah. Cooper was. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, tell me about him. And um, I said, well, instead of telling you about him, let me, let me, let me ask you a few questions. I said, um, what's the fastest way to get to every parent in England? Is there, is there, like, is there an Ed Sullivan show in America? If you're on Ed Sullivan show, every Everybody parent. Sees it, yeah. you know, and I explained to him about Elvis Presley. Colonel Parker wouldn't let the hips be shown on Elvis Presley, and that's what exploded Elvis. Because they were too sexy? Because parents said, you can't watch this. He's too sexy. He's, and he picked up kids at a point of rebellion. I said, that's, that's what I, Alice is a guy named Alice. They wear dresses. We've built our career on parents hating him, just like the Elvis thing. I need to get to those parents really fast. Is there something like the Ed Sullivan show? He said, no, here it's like morning news, BBC morning news. Right, which isn't going to feature some rock yeah, act. which from, is never going to feature a rock especially act. Especially not Alice Cooper. And I said, uh, what did they show on? And he said, it's the weirdest thing. A lot of traffic for people coming to work in the morning. So British. And, um, you know, how to grow wheat and soy. Oh, my gosh. And, um, wow. Ostrich Festival in Cambridge. And I said, do they do traffic a lot? And he said, yes. How do they do it? He said, helicopters. And I said, what about if, I said, I had this great picture of Alice naked that we just shot. <laughs> what about if we, if we figured out, what's the busiest intersection in the morning? And he said, Piccadilly. I said, maybe we take this and we put it on a truck and break it down at Piccadilly and get the helicopters to show the traffic backed up. Right. And parents say, who is this disgusting naked person who's backing up traffic? And Derek, you know, I figured out he found the driver who was willing to go to jail. <laughs> uh, and we broke it down twice, and they took him off the second time. And it backed up traffic for 30, 40 miles. And luckily, this is where luck comes in, two members of parliament got caught in the traffic. Late, uh, oh. Mary Whitehouse, and I forgot the other guy's name. And when they got to, to the legislature, they put in a bill to ban Alice from coming to England. Wow. Talk so about that was news. the front page. And we hit the, and it sold out in like one day, and life was beautiful. Right, and then and then oh yeah, wow. <laughs> and then you had a different problem. We better crush this show yeah, here yeah. in the UK. <laughs> it reminds me, I got a friend Ryan Holiday who does similar stuff. I don't know if you ever heard of this kid. He's in his twenties. He's written a bunch of books, and he's he's done similar stunts where he'll work for an author, a, another friend Tucker Max. And what he did was a, a lot of people thought that his writing was really disgusting because it was kind of like this immature stuff back in the day, and so. He created buzz that Tucker Max is coming out with a movie and we should protest this. And so he went to all these frat houses and got them to to go to this movie. But he also got all these feminist groups to show up and say, ban this movie. That's perfect. And and they went out in force and it made news and it was ban the Tucker Max movie. And I mean, at this point, even if it went straight to DVD, he made up for it in book sales. Right. Because then everybody knew who I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. As long as it doesn't hurt people. Right. Yes. It has to. It has to draw no blood, right? right. That's right. that's the uh, that's the idea. Yeah. Not to get political, but we're seeing so much of that stuff in politics where truth doesn't matter, and in the entertainment world, that's one thing. When it bleeds into real life, it gets a little dangerous. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely. Yeah, it, it starts to become the theater starts to get confused yeah, yeah, with real life, confused, right. and yeah. that that causes major problems yeah. for for everybody. Yeah. Do you? 
it looks like the celebrity chef movement is a large part of your your legacy. Would you say that? Would yeah, you I, that? I, I think for me the the three things that I'm probably proudest of in, in, in my professional career, not my personal career, but Alice. Um, helping to get rid of the Chitlin circuit with Teddy. Right. And uh, the, the respect brought to the culinary artists that, that the chefs are now culinary artists and not cooks. Not cooks, yeah. yeah. And, the, the Chitlin circuit thing was kind of an interesting, to give people a little background, this was essentially a take-it-or-leave-it circuit for Afro-American entertainers mm-hmm. that had to play just because they thought, if we don't play here, we're never going to get any sales and we're going to be out on our butts. Right. And so they were just taken advantage of. Yeah, it was, ba- it was, um, it was maybe the next, I don't, not this, I don't mean it as cold as it sounds, but it was a direct um, link to the slavery issue. There was a plantation owner. That plantation owner normally owned the record company. Um, he had affiliations with radio stations around the country. The lifeblood for that record company was to have radio stations play the records. Um, All those radio stations made a lot of money promoting concerts. And when a white artist, for example, would have a hit record and go to Cleveland and the radio station would promote it in conjunction with a white promoter and the act would get paid, the station would make a little money, the record company was happy. In the Afro-American world, the artist would have a hit record, would go to the same town as Cleveland. The radio station would promote the show, but they'd keep 99% of the money. Um, oh, wow. And the artist was told by the, radio, by the record company if they wanted to keep their record contract and have hit records, they would do these shows basically for whatever the stations wanted to pay them. And the stations had promoters who were black promoters. There was a black promoter's association that was run out of Chicago um, that I believe Jesse Jackson was the lobbyist for um, that were very powerful and um, very annoyed if somebody tried to break that circuit. So when a Teddy Pendergrass went to Cleveland, for example, he had a play for those guys. If he, if he played for a white promoter and, uh, and got paid, he would get picketed. Really? Yeah. Um, we, we got picketed Radio City Music Hall. We got picketed a lot of places. Well, how do, what's the acu- excuse for picketing? They just call in their cronies and they yeah, stand yeah, out there and cause yeah. trouble? Of course. Jeez. It was a tough time. Yeah. And um, nobody was breaking it. Nobody was willing to break it. You know, it was the, you would hear about the other side of, you know, the, ra- the record company would give the guys Cadillacs that were rented and get the keys Jeez. back if they stopped having a hit record. Um, so it was, it was, you know, when we did our first show, when we broke out, we got death threats. The FBI had to Jeez. watch us. His last manager had been shot to death, Teddy's. And were you, were you worried about that at all? I mean, yeah. that would be really Yeah, I weird. was worried, but it was a point in my life where I didn't really care. It was the young and invincible phase? It wasn't so much young and invincible. I never had a, particularly at that point in my life, I didn't have a wife. I didn't have children. Mother and father, were, my dad had passed away. My mother was living. Um, I hadn't figured out what life was about. I had a lot of those moments looking in the mirror, you know, what are you, a schmuck? Mm -hmm. I had a lot of three o'clock in the morning, you know, putting stuff up my nose. Yeah. Um, so if life had ended, it wasn't a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. 
injury I was scared of. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, you so mentioned I, in the book, if yeah, I had a stroke, just kill yeah. me. So I didn't really, it wasn't part of my um, thing. And when I came up against this unbelievable injustice, um, there was something in me which I hadn't figured out really till I wrote the book because I never really thought about stuff. I just would wake up in the morning, do what I do. So I got to the first show with Teddy, and the, it was unbelievable. Was, the PA system was like for a, a lounge show. The, uh, the lighting was non-existent. He didn't pay us. He gave me a ring. Like that's it, weird. That was weird. When I read that, I was like, what the like, when what I pushed mafia him, crap is this? And, and that's what happened. That was life the way it was. It, it, um, Were you just expected to pawn the ring and try to get some cash and that's it? Or It was so far beyond me. It was like, it, it was so different than anything I had known. Um, I was really naive. I was a naive white Jewish kid. Yeah, from Long Island. Yeah, from Long Island who had no idea. Way I had, far I had you know, Alice had played that building for a white promoter. We got paid. Everything was beautiful. We did less business than Teddy. So he, it's really after that show that I got educated. I don't know if I would have even agreed to manage him. Knowing the uphill battle. Knowing, I didn't know his manager had been shot to death. I didn't know those kind of things. Um, but once I was in and I got confronted by this, it was like, fuck, somebody's got to do something. This is so wrong. And, and probably economics um, came into it also because, like, I'm not going to work for nothing. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah, this I made is- a commitment to the guy. I'm going to live up to my commitment. But we're going to get paid. Because I can't get paid if he doesn't get paid. Right. Um, so I just, I, you know, if I had thought about it, I probably would have taken a different path. Sure. Like, hey, this is uh, looking <laughs> yeah, pretty tough. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are those chefs looking? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, and I was at a point in my career where I could have taken acts that were making a lot of money. Sure. And then, but and never was my path. Yeah. Yeah. You could have not dealt with the headache. Yeah. yeah. And just as soon moved along. Jason told me you've been in the business space for, I don't know, what are we talking about? 45, 50-ish years, but you never liked business. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, how is that even, <laughs> how is that possible? I don't know. Um, I, I, I not like business. Is that the way I would couch it? I, 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 um, yeah, there's nothing about it that I find enjoyable. Um, really? Yeah. There's, there's, what keeps you going then? Um, I think it's service. It's, it's service. Okay. You know, all of my stuff is service. Or, sir, you know, I just, I um, I just got a new door in my bedroom. I haven't been able to open my bedroom door leading to the outside for twenty years. Because it was sticking on the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I I just got it changed this week, and I I said to one of my kids, I said, you know. I may have carried this service stuff a little bit too far because <laughs> I certainly could afford a new door. Yeah, I mean this is a <laughs> this is a nice house on the beach here in Hold on, Maui. I look like a king, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, the door doesn't it, have to stick. So, so I think, um, and it's what I'm. It's what I do. You know, I'm really good at it. Um, I don't know what I don't know. I actually, I, I tried retiring, and no. Great job. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it just, yeah. uh, for me, it doesn't work. It's, I wake up in the morning. I still do what I do. Um, I love the challenge of, of, um, of doing stuff that no one thinks can be done. I love the challenge of connecting the dots. Um, and I, I just, you know, I'm working on a campaign now to try and um, move a, a food, a couple of food companies that do home delivery. 
into a Tom shoe model. Oh, I see. So you buy a meal and they, they give it away. Right. That's great. Yeah, which is great stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of a thing. It's putting the pieces together. and um, So that, that, it's what I do. And, and I, I know that I can maybe help some people doing it. And what else am I going to do? Just, you know, yeah. how many joints can you smoke a day? Right, yeah. Before it... <laughs> it seems like the service and, and this sort of unique mover and shaker kind of arrangement goes way back. I mean, it, you write in the book that you went to work with your dad one day, never talked about his work, and then you went there and you saw why, because it was just this like fluorescent light bulb dangling from yeah. the ceiling, yeah. kind of particle yeah. board office, yeah. and you thought to yourself, I'm never doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I think and bringing up my dad, I mean, for me, the biggest revelation of doing the book was um, realizing that I'm basically living out my father's life in service. He, he, I, he sort of gave up the things he enjoyed in life, um, at least that's, this is my impression, to be of service to me and my brother and my mother. Um, and he, without ever any hesitation, without any desire for anything in return. Um, he lived the service to us. And I think that's sort of, I'm sort of trying to live out his life. I, I never realized it before. Before you wrote the book? Yeah. Yeah. But as I wrote, and then Norman Mailer came out with a fantastic autobiography in the middle of my writing the book. And I read it and he talked about his father and it just turned the light bulb on in my head. I said, wow, that's, that's what he would have done if, he had confronted the Chitlin circuit or that's what he would have done if he had gone to the funeral and the four kids were there um, very quietly. He never would have said a word. And I take no credit to, you know, um, so I see I'm really living out in some ways, you know, his life. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the four kids you mentioned, you essentially adopted kids. I, I don't want to say on a whim, but certainly. Yeah, with, no, no, definitely on a whim. Yeah. yeah not even a whim. <laughs> Just kind of a, a sub whim. It was a sub whim. <laughs> because they needed it. They needed it. Yeah. yeah somebody, you know, somebody, somebody had to do it. Uh, and I happened incredible. to be there. <laughs> yeah. And this is why they call you the Superman. Yeah. And by the way, the best thing I ever did in my life. So really yeah. good. Yeah. Good. Cause the, the last thing you want to hear is, and then, and then I've, you know, and I've regretted it ever since. Yeah. Right? No, no, that's the best thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned that you, when you went to work with your dad, you saw the way that he was living and, and yes, maybe you're, you're living out the way that he would have done it now, but you still had that you still had that drive. It wasn't, oh, I don't want to work. This looks boring. It was, I'm willing to work my ass off, but I'm, I got to love it, which made me think that you're a millennial that's 30 years ahead of his time. <laughs> well, I think the only way to get what you want is wake up earlier, go to sleep later, and do more work in between. Put in the hours. There's no, there is no shortcut. I think if, you, if the people that I've seen who have shortcuts in their lives, the damage for those shortcuts is almost insurmountable. What, how, do you, how do you mean? Being born too wealthy. Oh, yeah. Being born to really powerful parents who know they're powerful and don't back off it for you. Um, winning a lottery. Mm. Um, you know, the, not working for these fool's gold items because they are fool's gold stuff. And if you don't work for them, all of a sudden you of, think that, yeah. that that's actually what life is about. And not about the work and the journey to get to it. Um, and it's just so hard to overcome. Um, whereas when you, you get up and you work for what you, you, you understand that 
you know, accumulating more money than the next guy is not going to make you happy. You know, accumulating enough to eat can make you happy. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's um, getting up earlier, working harder. Um, that's all part of it. Whether it's working at a relationship or working at business or, you know, working for something that you want. Um, that's, I think, the key to success. That's, that to me is the key to luck. The key to luck? Yeah. Is getting up earlier, going to sleep later, working harder. It's like that. Is that an Edison quote? The 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 harder I work, the luckier I get. I can't. Yeah, no, but yeah, somebody. Somebody, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, it's very true. We'll throw it out there because. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I just when I was talking to somebody that I was doing became really apparent to me is that in a business of service, particularly, and particularly in in a high profile business, the ability to fail is almost more important than the ability to win. How do you mean? My, you know, nothing gets done alone. You're in every, almost everything is in relationships. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing for my relationship with my artists that I managed was having the ability to fail. Because if you're not willing to fail, you're not going to do anything worthwhile. You're going to be doing what everyone else did. Sure, yeah, because you have to go down the sure path. Because you have to go down the sure path. And that's, the, I, I, I was, you know, I, I, was telling a story about Alice and I and the cannon, which I think I tell in the book, where um, I put him into this horrible thing. You know, he's the guy in front. He's on stage. He was going to, um, he was doing his first arena show, uh, stadium show. I advertised we were going to shoot him out in a cannon across the stadium. It just sounds so dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> that. <laughs> That's what he said when I called him up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I thought I had it. I, I thought I had it. You know, I thought I had it i got this out don't yeah, worry yeah, i got what it. could go wrong i got this covered and I, I went to some guys who built it for me very cocky they were so cocky they asked me what period canon you want a world war one world war two revolutionary wars like you gotta be kidding me so anyway we built this cannon it's 40 feet long it weighs five tons or something oh my gosh in its own truck we do a break-in show in lansing michigan Alice gets in. The trick was you get in, the, you crawl down the barrel of the cannon, you go into a fake door, you crawl out the side of the stage, a motorized vehicle takes you around to the other side of the arena. Oh, okay. While that's happening on stage, are torch lights and drums beating, building tension, light the fuse, explosion, dummy flies out, spotlight hits Alice, who's now running around. Ta da! Yeah, right. So. Dummy comes out, goes maybe one inch. <laughs> Just sort of <laughs> yeah, complete nightmare. Out. <laughs> like complete nightmare. Uh, we're now two shows away from uh, 50,000 people who we've advertised. See Alice. Shot out of a cannon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Big rookie mistake. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I made a lot of rookie mistakes. That was a big one. And uh, so what are we going to do? I said, I'll figure it out. Go to sleep. Gets up the next day in the hotel with these foam fire extinguishers. So. He said, what are we going to do? I said, it's going to be a giant penis. I put two little balls at the end of the cannon. I loaded it with these fire extinguishers. You get on and masturbate it. Just, play, you know, lick the duke, and we'll shoot the foam out. It'll go 40, 50 feet. It'll be fantastic. Right. So he gets on. He's working so hard. He's on top of the cannon. He's on top of the cannon. He's, like, working so hard. And it's horrible. It drips out, like, one inch. Me and him are the only two people in the place <laughs> that have any idea what this thing is. <laughs> Now we're one show away. We got 55,000 people. See him shut up. 
And here's where I think a great lesson to be learned is uh, on a few sides. In a normal, what an outsider would think of a normal relationship of two human beings trying to work together to get to the same place, they would be killing each other at this point. The artist would be screaming at the manager, you jerk, I can't believe what you've done to me. It's my whole career. You're ruining me. You're you know, the manager would be screaming at the guy who built the cannon, calling him up. How do we? We didn't have time for that. If we had spent our time beating each other up, it would have been a disaster. I said, go to sleep. I'll figure it out. He went to sleep. When he showed up the next day, I, he said, you get it. I said, you're probably not going to enjoy this one. And he said, what's going to happen? I said, I got a TV crew here from, from Cleveland. Yeah, Pittsburgh was Pittsburgh. They're going to film tonight. Unfortunately, I have a feeling when you get in the cannon, it may explode with you in it. And he said, you're kidding. And I said, no, you'll be okay. It's all special effects. I got it covered. But there'll be an ambulance and a crew, and they're going to take oh. out of the cannon. You're going to spend the night in the hospital. Like, really? I said, yeah. I, said, I got it covered. Just yeah. trust me. He said, okay. And he got in the cannon. And we blew it up, and they, oh, my God, people screaming. And the, we heard the sirens and put them out on a stretcher and took them to the hospital. And I went on the air because I had the TV station sure. there. And I said, we're going to check from the hospital. I don't know if we'll be able to do the show, but I hear he's all right. It's nothing too serious. Check back from the hospital. About two hours later, I did a live feed to the radio station saying, He's got some burns, he's, uh, but with medical supervision, they said he can do the show, but he might have to do it from a wheelchair. And that's what we did. We did the show in Pittsburgh. Uh, we had the bass player in a wheelchair. Alice had, uh, with blood and stuff, we had nurses coming out and doctors and checking them. Wow, and yeah. And the city went crazy, saying, uh, that's what an artist. How, how many artists would ever come after going to the hospital and do the show for right. and He's yeah. the greatest. Perfect and, excuse for not shooting somebody out of a cannon yeah, is they're in a wheelchair. They're in a wheelchair. Right. So it ended up better because we got the sympathy of everyone. We still got the show in. Right. But the point is, if we had ended up fighting, we never would have gotten to this right. place. Right, you didn't waste any energy doing that. Doing that. We went to, you know, and, and it's, those are the failures that you have to have to get to new, great, creative stuff. You can't, you can't win every time or you're not doing stuff that is worthwhile. For women only could have been a disaster, you know, but you have to have the faith to be able to fail. And I think that's really important for people listening out there who, who are trying to do stuff particularly creatively, the ability to fail and to, um, you know, use it as a strength rather than a weakness is really important. And you're, you've got a common thread throughout the book as well. That's don't get mad, accomplish the goal. You have a, it seems like you divorce emotions from the business as much as possible so that it doesn't distract you from what's really important, which is getting it done. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you do that? Even, even in situations where maybe you should be mad as hell, someone stiffed you, the guy gives you a pinky ruby ring instead of a, a check. How are you able to go, okay, I'm not going to get emotional. I mean, do you feel it well up and you push it down or does it just oh, not yeah, happen? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm a human. I mean, we're all yeah. human. Yeah. I have little practices. I am. Um, it depends what the anger is. I think, from being around his holiness, he's never said this to me ever. Um, but being around him and, see, and around Berger, they, I, my sense is that when they see somebody, when they see this table, or they see you, or they see that plant outside, the first thing they see is the miracle. 
And if you see the miracle first, you can't get mad. Um, you can get disappointed, maybe, but you can't get mad. So I try and instill that into me when I can feel the emotion of anger coming up. And if it's a human, I go to forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. But I can't let them take me on my journey. How do I get back to where I need to be? Um, not to get angry. I, you know, I feel sorry for them. Um, and, and try and turn the emotion that way. If I'm having real trouble, which sometimes I am. Sure. For me, I have little things like I can, if I cook for a half hour. All the anger. Oh, really? Just like gets out of me. That's your workout, yeah. huh? Or if I go to a jacuzzi, if I can find a jacuzzi. I assume you got one here. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I can get in. It's sort of, it's like uh, a tuning fork, and um, but I stay on point. All the other stuff is, you know, as humans, it's we got a lot of stuff we got to get through, and anger is one of them. So then you know, I think every, there's no way to get rid of it. There's a way to understand it and then deal with it. How did you manage to stay nice and, and I guess, and I hate this term, so pardon me, but open-hearted in such a cutthroat business? I mean, Hollywood and being a manager, especially in a rock scene and films, not really known for the sweetest people mm-hmm. and the easiest to deal with types of people. I mean, how, how come that didn't turn you rotten? You know, I don't know. Um, I actually, I think one of the reasons is that um, accumulation has never been one of my goals. You know, I used to tell all my acts when I would sign them, if, if you're looking to make the most amount of money, um, other guys are better than I am. If you're looking to be a one-name artist, if you want to be, not have people say Alice Who or Raquel Who or Teddy Who, that's what I do. I know how to, you know, get you through the noise, preserve your artistry, make a connection with your audience. I won't make you the most money because I'm not willing to take it from other people to give right. it to you. Right. You know, your fair share is what I'll fight for, not your fair share and his fair share and his fair share and his fair share. Right. And we saw, and I saw that in the book and I was so surprised. Yeah. I mean, there were guys in there. I can't remember this guy's name, but you were advised he, he will stay with you if you fail and he'll stay with you if you do. Okay. And, but if, as soon as you win, he will screw you over. It's just who he is. And then sure enough, at the end of the book, he just <laughs> turns around and tries to vote you out of a successful yeah. company. And he and says, did, yeah. he was the snake. He was like, this is in my nature. Yeah. I can't not do it. Yeah. But it's forgive him. Lord, he knows not what yeah. he does. Yeah. Can't help it. He even said, I'm sorry, I'm compelled to do this. Yeah. I just can't not, yeah. Yeah. which is, you got to feel bad. for You got to feel like bad. That. I mean, I really feel bad. It's, it's what's it all about, Alfie. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, and it's hard. I mean, I find it's really interesting when I go to the mainland and I'm in LA for a week or two, I feel the greed start to come in. I can feel like I'll feel sorry for myself that I don't have a private plane, which is that insane. FOMO, that FOMO, which is like right? insane. Yeah. It's that's insane. Crazy. It's like, but I feel it. It comes into my system and I can really, and then I fight hard. To like, are you absolutely insane? You're healthy. You have money for food. You have people who love you. You know, I go through the list of my good stuff and I get through it. But I think all of us as humans, that fool's gold stuff is so ingrained in all of us. So, you know, it takes, that's what I mean. You get up early, you go to sleep later. It takes work. You don't not fall victim to being a jerk just because you say it. Yeah. It's actual work and actual practice and actual doing stuff. It seems to be 
Well, you find positivity in just about everything, which is great. And you have a lot of gratitude practice, which, like you said, look for the mm-hmm. positives. But I, I feel you. Even personally, I, I definitely have that, we call it FOMO, fear of missing out. And what that yeah. essentially means is now... FOMO, yeah. it's a good word. I FOMO, like that. yeah. When you hang out with somebody and they... Or you hear about somebody else who's doing something and you think, wow, I don't have that. I don't have that. And the problem is that you end up comparing your blooper reel to their highlight reel. You don't look at their inside life and say, so this true. is the loneliest yeah. son of a bitch yeah. with a plane. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. He would trade his, I, I guarantee you. And hopefully you, he's the happiest guy in the world hopefully, with this plane. Right? Hopefully. God bless him. Hopefully. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But a lot of them would kill to have one person that they could yeah. call that didn't want something from them. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's one a, person. I think it's, you know. I think it's tough being a human right now. It probably always was tough being a human. You know, I was watching Game of Thrones. And I was just in Italy, um, in Tuscany, and after watching Game of Thrones, and then you go to Italy and you see the little towns, and every town has a, a wall around it. You realize how tough it must have been living then, when right. everybody wants to kill you for no reason. They right. don't even know you. Huh? <laughs> they just see that they see your town, and they're going, "Let's burn that yeah, thing let's down." Let's burn that thing down. It's like so insane. Yeah. So this. Something in the nature of humans, it's really bizarre. Um, and I think it's sort of from burning the town, it's now translated in our day and age to having everything your neighbor has and more. You know, everybody's jealous of everybody. Everybody wants what everybody else has. Everybody wants more. And um, I hope that there's a generational change because it seems like yeah. generations go against what the last generation had. So I, I'm hoping that it comes back to some sense of sanity, because um, right now it's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. I've noticed that you, you do end up when you say helping artists make a connection with their audience and everything. One of the quotes that that I thought was summed up in, in large part at the beginning of the book was, "If I do my job right, I will probably kill you." Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you, you help people achieve that fame and that notoriety and that that one name artistry. So you have kind of this weird, complicated relationship with fame, right? Because on the one hand, it's you're building this big bonfire, but you don't want to jump into it yourself. It's a large part of going back to why I don't enjoy doing business, because that's the business I'm in, is helping and destroying people at the same time. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's what I do. It's what yeah. they want. It's like chemotherapy. Yeah, I put a lot of disclaimers on all the time. Um, but it's, you know, it's, um, it's weird. You know? it, and I've had, sadly, so many in my life, Teddy's gone, Luther's gone, you know, so many are gone. Um, then um, the fable sort of, you know, comes to life. It seems like a lot of folks, if I'm just imagining for myself, if you sat me down and you said, Jordan, we're going to make you a star, but it might kill you and you're going to have drug problems. I would imagine literally everyone says, that's not going to be me. I'm right. going to be able to handle that. Yeah. And you know from experience that they're not going to be able to handle that. It's yeah. just going to get, it's going to get you. And, you. and most people will come back, take the fall and come back, but it's going to knock you down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even Alice, r- rife tales just in your oh. book that aren't even gone oh. into in detail where he's oh, starting to drink 24-7. And then yeah. it, towards the end, there's a mention where it's like, eh, Alice was smoking crack at this point. We got him back into rehab. and. Yeah. Now he's in Vegas doing shows, but at some level, these people are, are playing Russian roulette oh, yeah. with, the, uh, with everything. The, the more famous, the more Russian roulette. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a complicated 
complicated relationship. But it's, uh, you know, it's hard. I, I, I'm just living through it with a young lady. My assistant's daughter is a very talented young singer who sort of got discovered at 12 by people and did, was on stage with Willie Nelson at 13. And, I mean, she made, and uh, my advice always to her is become a school teacher. Yeah. Have some kids. You're so happy. Enjoy your life. Sing at parties. And she's now in L.A., you know, following her dream, knowing the consequences. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and a great girl. Um, but it's I think that just comes with the territory. It's part of that game. Yeah. Um, and if it if you have the bug, it's a very tough bug to get rid of. The bug meaning fame. Fame. Yeah. yeah it's a really tough bug because it's never. They, they all fool. Not, not all, but 99 percent of the young people starting fool try fool themselves by saying it's about my art it's not about being successful or famous right you don't need to be in front of people for your art right you could do the art you can do that in your living room yeah yeah so it's always about fame it's not even a question you know right Um, and um that's a tough it's it's tough to get especially in this day and age when fame is now the end goal completely you know nobody Yes. It's so bizarre. When I was, when, you know, I'm not, I'm 70, so I'm not like a, a complete relic. But <laughs> when I was 30s and 40s and 50s, and I have a huge network of people, my friends would reach out to me and say, my daughter loves to cook. She's going to a cooking school. Could you get her a job at Emerald's? Emerald Lagasse's yeah, restaurant. Emerald yeah. Lagasse's restaurant. Or they'd call up and say, my son plays guitar. He's always wanted to be in a band. Is there any way you can get him a job on Alice's tour so he can see what it's like? Oh, wow. So those were a lot of calls like that. Yeah. Over the last 10 years, now the calls are completely different. Now the calls are, my daughter uh, loves cooking. She's going to cooking school. Can you get her on Top Chef? Oh, geez. Or my yeah. kid is a guitar player. He just went to Juilliard. He's doing great. Any way you can get him on American Idol. Wow. It, the, the end goal is not the craft anymore. It's now step one. It's step one. Um, and that's really scary to me. Yeah. That's really scary. Because then there's no foundation to fall off of. Right. You, you can't know. fall back on, well, I always yeah. love playing music on the club circuit. So it's just, yeah. you started off in your mom's basement. Now you're on television. And when that goes away, you are left. Really empty. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned in the book, if part of the tactics were, if you want to be famous, get next to someone famous. Where you would put, uh, who was that yeah. folk singer? Anne Murray. Anne Murray. Yeah. And you put her in a picture who was just a goody two shoes type of woman, or look, was Anne Murray. And then you said, we got to spice this up. Let's get her hanging out with yeah. Alice Cooper and John, John Lennon in a at the Rainbow Bar and Grill where they're all dr- <laughs> drinking their faces off and then take a couple of photos. Uh, I call it guilt by association. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. Uh, I use that for the chefs a lot too. Yeah. It works with everything. Yeah, You know, you bleed off, the fame bleeds off. You do it enough times. And, and I brought that up because it seems like w- what you just mentioned is now, though, that's all people are doing. That's all they do. That's all they want. Right. They're fame not- has become the end game. Yeah. You know, I think the Kardashians is a couple of people who have, um, the Hiltons, who really changed the dynamics um, to where the fame is the goal. Right. Um, rather than being so good at your craft, you become famous. Right. It's not. It's not about creating something anymore. It's about... This term, there's a Hollywood term, star fucking all the time. One thing that you and I share in common is that uh, after you achieve something, it seems like we're kind of over it. 
Yeah. I didn't go to my high school graduation. I didn't go to my college graduation. Right. I didn't go to my law school graduation. It's just like you said, you high five yourself in the mirror and you either go to sleep or you say, what's next? Yeah. And I never really understood that part of myself. So I was really glad to hear that you're like that as well. Yeah, I still haven't figured it out either. I, Alice and I are very similar in that way. Um, we had a real, uh, it was really funny when he got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is gigantic. I mean, the Rock yeah, and Roll I mean, Hall that's... of Fame, I'm a, I'm a kid from Oceanside, Long Island, who, you know, oh my God, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And for Alice, I mean, you know, this, yeah. is, this is the, the crowning achievement of this, a lifetime. It, it lives forever. This outlives everybody. Yeah. Right. And um, it was at a hotel in New York. And they were having a party for all the, the, the inductees and everyone afterwards in the same hotel. Sure. Alice was staying in that hotel. I was in another one. So the show ended and my granddaughter was here, Amber, said, you're going to come to the party? And I said, nah, maybe I'll meet you there. And I jumped in a cab and I went to my hotel and I was 15 minutes after we got the award, 20 minutes, I was in bed watching CNN. Right. And uh, did the high five in the mirror, you know, like. Are you actually doing it? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. motherfucker. You got to fuck the Hall of Fame. Holy shit. And then I got in bed. The next day I saw Alice and I said, you know, um, I said, what you, how was the party? And he said, I didn't go to the party. I went upstairs, went to bed. But you didn't even stop in the party? I said, no. I said, isn't it weird? I said, for me, I don't have a lot of regrets. But I wish I could enjoy those moments. And yeah. I don't understand why I don't. I, uh, I still haven't quite figured yeah. it out. I, I think for me, I always assumed it was because the journey was interesting and I was getting pulled into the next thing. But there's still no reason not to even go to the, yeah, the, the no, one no, hour yeah, aftermath, right? I, mean, I still don't get it. Yeah. Because yeah. graduation ceremonies, you got to rent that stupid thing and you got to stand out in the heat. And then there's a bunch of people you don't know and you just want to go home when you're there. But I would imagine a rock and roll Hall of Fame party. It's air conditioned. Yeah. You got oh, drinks no, no. there. It's, it's a fun yeah, time, no, I right? I still don't get it. I mean, but that's yeah. just the way it is. It's a, I've always been like that. Get it done and and move on to the and next move thing. On. Or or go watch CNN in your yeah, in yeah. your underwear, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I just thought that was so interesting, and because very very rarely do you meet people who who do that. Yeah. Most people are living for that kind of experience for that moment for that moment. Yeah. And you hear a lot about that with uh, Olympic athletes as well, though. Is that there's a hump they go over when they win that gold. And I think it, a part of me is avoiding that feeling of, you got this, but it's not completing you. So that's an uncomfortable feeling. So mm -hmm. in order, I kind of avoid it's a false God. facing it. Yeah. It is a false God. So yeah. I, maybe that comes into it, you know, worshiping of these false right. gods. Like you're making it not a big deal yeah. so that it doesn't end up being more disappointing later mm -hmm. when it Something, doesn't change yeah, life. Weird. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is a strange occurrence. I was... Yeah. Glad to hear I was not the only one in there uh, with that with that look. A lot of the early parts of the book link food to relationships. You mentioned your grandmother. You're eating food in the kitchen before you even say hello. Sandwiches with your dad. You remember what you got was like chopped liver and yeah. something like that on, on yeah. rye. Yeah, with brisket on rye. Ice cream, that big ice cream sundae with the editor of Mad <laughs> Magazine and his daughter. Meals with friends. And these are just detailed things that I, it's yeah. like, how do you remember what you ordered after the Cannes Festival with, at some hotel? I mean, it's just incredible. You know, for me, I, that's the only thing I do remember. Really? Clearly, I remember all my meals. You see the world through food. Yeah. Everything else, I don't. I, more, uh, not the world so much through food, but my life and the times. Like, I can't. I always, it's almost embarrassing with the kids because we'll do stuff and I'll, 
I'll say, uh, wow, you got to go. I know I was with you, Grandpa Chef. Yeah. I said, well, I don't remember. I know we had a pastrami sandwich right, yeah. with somebody yeah. having this pastrami. That was me. I was, uh, I just remember it all by food. It's really bizarre. And I, I wasn't a foodie, or at least the knowledgeable foodie, until I met Mr. Verger. I was, you know, ketchup and uh, macaroni was, for me, a great meal. And um, Oh, well, before, before yeah, that? Yeah, before I that met Mr. Verger. That sounds absolutely horrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was, my diet was basically um, Swiss cheese. Macaroni and ketchup, Sara Lee's chosen frozen cheesecakes. <laughs> that was wow. A, and I was like 250, 260. Oh, I was going to say, you're yeah, not that. I was a couch were... potato and big. And um, when I met Mr. Verger, it all came. And then I, I had the same, you know, when I looked back at my life, I realized I do remember meals were really important part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought that was interesting because most people write about, and it looked like this, and then it felt like that, and you're like, and we ate a pastrami, yeah, yeah. and there was cheese on it, and they put way too much cheese on it. And yeah. I'm thinking, that's what you got? Yeah. And <laughs> you now know? that's, my life has become basically the celebration of dinner for the last 15 or 20 years. That's the most important thing in my existence. Yeah, Jason said he came in, and two hours later, 25 people showed up for a dinner party, and that's just how you roll. <laughs> that's just how I roll. <laughs> When you're dealing with uh, with folks now in business, and oh, he was here a great night. Did he, oh, was he? Did he tell you who was here that night? Uh, no, I don't wow. think so. Two heroes of mine. Um, now I got to remember the name. Uh, Joseph Wilson and his wife Valerie. Joseph Wilson was the ambassador to the African country who said that the nuclear stuff didn't go to um, to Saddam Hussein, and then they oh, outed wow. his wife, who was a CIA agent. Oh, my goodness. And they made that movie about her, Free Fall something. Oh. Um, and it was amazing to see these two American heroes who were outed by the, by the, the, uh, the government. Um, for the only wow. time a CIA agent's name was published. Told, it was published while she was on active duty. That's awful. Yeah, but they were amazing. We had a great time that night. It was really what a joy to, to be in their presence. Yeah, jeez. Uh, I mean, talk about putting it all on the line. Putting it all Good on the line. God. Yeah. You you uh, you do a great job with with achieving goals, and you mentioned that if you can see the goal, no matter how distant it might seem at the start, it makes it easier to start creating the path to it. But how do you look for and visualize those these lofty goals that just seem kind of nebulous? I think it's you know it depends what the situation is, but it's again it's spending more hours and time on it. So in the case of like for example a Teddy Pendergrass, um, how do I define? How do I define to people this sex appeal? You can't stand up and say he's sexy. Right. Because that's arrogant and you lose all your sex appeal. Um, so it was doing little things like instead of him, a picture of him on the ad for women only, it was a stuffed teddy bear with a note on it that said, spend the night with me. Nice. Love teddy. So it was soft. Um, so um, my, my goal was to tell the world that women would go crazy over him. How do you do that best? By creating that moment where women are going crazy over him and getting that picture out and that story out and that word out. It's almost like working backwards. Right. So then yeah. how do you do that? Well, he sells a lot of tickets. Um, let's do it live in New York and L.A., which are the media centers. Let's make sure that everyone tells us we can't do it. Right. So it becomes controversial. Right. Um, and then let's do it. And uh, how do we 
keep adding to that story. But the chocolate teddy bear lollipop definitely adds to the story. Um, <laughs> it's still adding to my yeah. my visions at night. <laughs> so I think it's you know it's it's just a way of thought. It's forgetting about you know it's what would I like to see in the newspaper when I wake up, or what would I like to see on CNN, or what would I like Teddy's fantasy. And once you you say well, what would be the perfect thing for him. Oh, him in a room with just women. Well, let's do it. Let's not wait for it to happen. Right. Let's just do it. Don't wait for history to happen. Don't wait it's for history. history to happen. You know, um, right now we're doing a campaign with Alice to get him elected president. I think that he could actually, yeah. it could happen. <laughs> On the wild party. Yeah. Which no is kidding. pretty funny. <laughs> I think there's a chance. Um, you're always pushing yourself to grow. I mean, you're not stopping. There's no, I no, mean, no, I'm having no. a good time. I, they, you mentioned they thought it was a stretch when you decided to work with Groucho Marx and Raquel Welch, but uh, stretching is how you grow. How are you doing that now? I mean, you're still, you're still cruising. Yeah, I still do the same. I mean, I'm trying to um, add a little more conscience to the culinary world. I think that's, I, I gave the, the commencement speech at the CIA this year, and I feel sort of partly responsible for this phenomenon. The other CIA. The CIA, which I'm yeah. sorry, yeah, the Culinary <laughs> the, Institute. The, yeah, they don't let me into the other one except yeah. in handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and um, I feel partly responsible having created this movement of, um, you know, $150, $200 meals. And I'm proud of it. Um, and I was addressing, you know, this beautiful audience of a couple of hundred C- uh, culinary institute graduates who were going to, 10 years ago, if they graduated, they would go into a $30,000 a year job. Ugh. They would have a ceiling of maybe 70000 now they're going to step into a probably a hundred, a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars starting salary, and have an unlimited ceiling. And um, what I told to them was that you know I'm really happy for them. It's really great, but if you think we all put the effort in, that we put in to make that possible for them to just feed hundred and fifty dollar dinners, they're headed for they're headed for a crash. Yeah, they got to look out. When they leave the place of business, look to the left and look to the right, and you're going to see homeless, hungry people. And if you think your job isn't to feed them and only the guys who can pay $150, you're in the wrong profession. Right. Um, so I'm trying to, to bring, I think that's important for the profession. If it's going to really maintain itself as an art form to bring a conscious, compassionate um, integration into it. So I do that. I'm trying to, um, I'm doing a, uh, a dinner September 12th in New York that's going to establish a Roger Verge scholarship at the Culinary oh, wow. Institute, wow. which I'm really proud of Yeah, with um, 12 great chefs. So I, I stay, I keep my, you know, I, I think about what I want. I went to the Culinary Institute and they had busts of other chefs and they didn't have a bust of Mr. Verge there. So I said, I want yeah. his place in there. How do we do this? And so we're doing this dinner and Michael Douglas hosting and um, Daniel, Danielle, David Boulay, Michael White, um, Dean Fearing, all these great wow. chefs coming in. Uh, now we're going to, it's going to become reality. So it's the same thing. When I go back to the CIA, there will be a bus, there will be Verge. You know, it's creating history, but in a different way. Um, so I, I keep my, that's what I enjoy doing. That's, it's my, it's my challenge and my nightmare. 
Yeah, you just hear glutton. Because <laughs> I take these things on that are just, oh, my God. And now I don't have an office, really, so I don't have a staff yeah. to help. Right, now you're, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you've retired everyone else instead yeah, of yourself. everyone else retired. Yeah. <laughs> but it's what I do, so, you know. Yeah, I um, love that story. When you, you're like, I'm retiring, a.k.a. getting, and so the whole company goes on without you, but then you just decide to do everyone's job. Yeah, instead. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like you, you're doing it backwards, man. Yeah, you're doing did it backwards. backwards. Yeah, yeah, did it really fast. No, I, you still. I don't. I think anyone who doesn't say they still don't look in the mirror and say, "What the fuck is it all about? What are you doing?" I think is sort of lying. Yeah. Because I don't think as humans we ever, you know, none of us are going to ever figure out why we're here. In my opinion, we can have theories, we can have beliefs, but how did this happen? Like who, who did this? And what's the plan? And I don't think we'll ever really, you know, you can choose to be a Catholic or a Buddhist or a Jew, or you can choose to be agnostic. You can choose to pick a reason. But I don't think any of those, in my opinion, at least for my belief system, are ever going to be black and white. This is why we're here. This. So it's um, anyone who thinks they figured it out. I don't know if you can figure it out. Yeah. But if you find something that's comfortable, that fits in your wheelhouse, you're a lucky person. What do you think is the next celebrity chef type of star? I mean, where do you see a hole in an industry where I think it's the uh, the growers of cannabis? Really? Yeah, I think I think that's one. You know, what I try to look for is waves, cultural waves. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a genius with the chefs. It was so obvious that you know you could you could get into the you could be on the fifty yard line at a football game. You could be in the front row of the Broadway theater if you had enough money. You couldn't get into La Cirque. You couldn't get into Charlie Trotters. Um, it was so obvious that demand was there. Demand is what drives celebrity. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And cannabis is the revolution. I mean, it's just, and it's exactly like the chef's work. You know, it's funny. When I started with the chefs, Chef Boyardee was the famous. Yeah, Aunt Jemima. They were the, the famous one? cooks. Yeah. In the pot world now, it's Bob Marley. Oh, sure, yeah. Or, sure. you know, or Snoop Dogg. Um, not the actual grower, who's actually the real star. It's like right. Chef Boyardee against Emerald, Snoop Dogg against the grower. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's, that has a real possibility to develop, that they will become media stars out of it. They'll become heroes out of it. Um, the economics are gigantic, so they'll be able to fuel the fire just like the chefs did by hiring PR people, doing multiple you know the economics are so gigantic and talk about the parents already hating you Hate right you. that's yeah. already built in it's perfect it's already built in yeah, you got it thank you so much is there anything that i haven't asked you that you think man i gotta tell them this no everybody go vote please yeah, why are you so passionate about uh getting everybody getting out the vote i think it's um i think it's a really dangerous time in our history um and um I think no matter what happens at the end of this election, it's the, our country is going to be different. And I think the most important thing is for people to realize that they have a voice and they, have, they, they can affect this. And if they're just sitting on the sidelines and letting everything happen to them, they're allowing themselves to be victims. There's a difference between a victim and a loser. You can lose and come back and win. A victim, there's this... You're just a victim. There's no reason at this point to be a victim, right. whether, you made, you made whether you're choice. for one side or the other. Right. Um, I would like to think that there's more people 
who believe in what I believe in. So by getting out to vote, it helps me. But even if it doesn't, I think, you know, this is a serious time. We're all so, we all seem so disconnected from cause and effect in our lives when it gets bigger than our own little apartment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're not. We, we really can do something. I mean, I, as a child of the 60s, I saw what we did with the war. You know, I saw what burning the Rati cards did. I saw what, you know, protesting did. I saw it getting a, you really can have some effect. I think our generation, it's bigger, it's so big that it's hard to imagine you can affect it. So anyway, I just think, you know, I love America. I, I, I end my book saying that um, I always wanted my kids to, to, medit- to focus on this simple fact. You win or lose in life. 99% of the time, just where you drop out of the womb. If you drop out of the womb in America, oh, I see. you have a chance to eat, be healthy, have love in your life, security, do what you want to do. You drop out in some of the countries in Africa. You drop out in, in, in Syria today. You drop out in these places. You, you have no chance. You, I mean, maybe one out of 10 million will come through. Right, it becomes but lottery. It's, uh, it's, so you're so lucky just to have dropped out here, to not um, understand how lucky this gift is and fight hard to keep it. And I think we're at risk of losing. I, I, I just fear that that won't apply in a couple of generations if the country goes away. You can see it going. Yeah, uh, it is scary. Yeah. I mean, it's and so it, and coming from you've seen a lot of different things, different waves, different cultural shifts. So it, it's a, it's almost a, there's some hindsight here as yeah, well. Yeah, this is a very different. This is really different. You know, it's um, you listen to what both candidates are saying, and it's just built on hatred and um, belittling, and um, it's just horrible. It's, the political theater. Yeah, it's the just of, horrible. Yeah. yeah. And this is what our kids are hearing. This is what they're thinking. So anyway, I think it's important everybody get out and vote and make their their presence felt. Thank you, Shep. Thank you. Pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great. I told you Shep was an amazing guy. Look, this was a fun show. There are many more stories in the book as well. We'll link to that in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this, you can't thank Shep on Twitter because he's not on there. But you can tap the album art in most mobile podcast players to see the cheat sheet and the show notes for this. We'll link to the book and the documentary so you can see that right on your phone. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm if you want me to pass something along or if you just want to say hello or engage with the show in any way. And our boot camp, our live program details, that's at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we're sold out a few months in advance. So if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch ASAP. Get some info from us so you can plan ahead. You can also join our social capital challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or here in the States, text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. The challenge is about improving your networking and connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show. I also do regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed in the U.S. to 33444. For the full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. And I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. 
Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 